you know, I think of them almost like all like very structured short stories. Like I, t I draw a lot from that genre and that experience of reading those things to, um, you know, when I write in the longer form and it's like, how, how economical can I be with these descriptions and how impactful kind of thing, right? Like what's the minimum amount of stuff to convey this world? Hello, friends. My name is Steve, and I'm here today with author PJ Garson. PJ, thanks for joining me today. Hey, thanks for having me on, Steve. It's great to, great to be here. Yeah, I appreciate you taking the time to come by. I know it's hard to to get, you know, to make time sometimes because there's so many things going on in life, but so I appreciate you taking the time out of this out of this evening. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's uh, always a busy time, but uh, yeah, happy to always come on and chat, and chat about books and stuff. Awesome. So tell us about your about your book series, The Kardashev Cycle. Right. So, uh, yeah, so The Kardashev Cycle is like a sci-fi series that um, is kind of like a, each book kind of has like a little slightly different flavor to it. Like it, it's a little bit of a mix of space opera, a little bit of cyberpunk in there. And uh, it's it's a, a, a three book series. So there's two books that are out now. And the third one is coming this year. I think it's soon, very, very soon. Um, and uh, it, it's uh, sort of set in our own solar system. And it's um, maybe it's not it's not hard sci-fi, but it's it's based in reality. So it's it's grounded in real science and sort of then taken to the uh, the sort of the nth degree. And it sort of follows the idea where uh, there's the Kardashev Corporation who uh, are uh, the CEO, Alton Neal, he's very, uh, he's hell-bent on transforming uh, our civilization into a type two civilization. So if, you, if you're into sci-fi kind of thing, you, or, or in, in, uh, and sort of uh, science research, uh, the Kardashev scale is like a, a scale that measures like uh, energy output of civilizations. So like type one would be, you can harness all the, energy from your planet. Type two would be all the energy from your star. Type three would be from your galaxy. And so he's come up with this, uh, uh, they've developed this uh, thing called a Dyson Swarm, which is like, again, based on like a real thing, there's a real hmm. uh, theory about this, that this is, this is a thing that you could potentially build. And it basically is like a bunch of orbiting collectors that go around the sun to capture all of the the energy output from it. And so he's, he's doing this people in the, in the, um, people in the, in the, uh, in the system, they don't, they don't like that very much kind of thing that, you know, this one guy controls all of the energy output from the sun and, you know, controls everything. Um, and so there's, there's obviously some conflict there and then in sort of, but the heart of the story is there's a young girl, uh, Chim who is, you know, sort of grew up in the belt on a mining station and she's, you know, kind of thrust into the middle of this whole conflict really against her will kind of thing. You know, she, she has very, very early on, there's some, uh, you know, tragedy in, in her family. And as a result of the, uh, the actions 
of of the uh, the Kardashev Corporation kind of thing. And so this is kind of the dominoes start falling, and and we get we get hopefully a very entertaining kind of like action adventure uh, story that that spans three books. And with, with the books being rooted in real science, did you, did you have someone double check uh, the real science aspects of the story just to be sure you had it right? Well, I definitely have very detail-oriented uh, beta readers who will who will help and, uh, you know, point those things out. And, you know, I, I definitely spent a lot of time double-checking my math on things like <laughs> travel times within the solar system or, or uh, you know, double-checking uh, the you know, is this like really plausible? You know what I mean? Is this, this concept being explained properly? And, and, you know, is this, is it believable? There's obviously some stuff in there that like stretches, stretches, you know, the, the boundaries of maybe what's possible, but um, it's always, you know, tried to start from a place of, of reality. And what's the feeling like with the third book coming out? in a few months or the summer, um, what is it feeling like to wrap up the series? Is it, did you have a, like a physical response? Did you have like a, like you could breathe again or what was that like? <laughs> it was really like, I want to describe it. Uh, it's like, it's both like exciting, but also a little bit sad. Like it's a little bit bittersweet, right? Because you kind of get um, connected to these characters and you get like really connected with this world. And when you're, you know, when you're writing towards the the end of it, you're like, I don't want this to end. You know what I mean? Like I, you know, and it also feels like, you know, the first book, you know, you're new to these characters. And by the third one, you're like, I know how to write these these characters down. You know, I know them inside and out. And it's like, but at the same time, you know, their story arc is coming to coming to completion kind of thing. So um, yeah, it was like a mix, you know, I was excited. The third book was definitely the easiest for me to write. I think that uh, we'll see if it's the easiest for me to finish editing. I'm still, I'm like, I'm in the middle of editing it right now. We'll see if that, that's always the trick, the hardest part. Um, but it was definitely the easiest one to write. So it was, you know, exciting just to, to be like, oh, I can see all the threads coming together. Right. I can see, you know, you know, the third one also, you know, has all like the payoffs, right. All of the, you know, the things that have been kind of brewing since the first book are getting, you know, paid off in the third one. So it's, that's always exciting, but it's sort of sad to leave these characters and be like, oh, you know, now, now what am I going to do? Yeah. <laughs> do you have any, uh, any other projects you're, you're working on or kind of, you know, roaming your mind? Uh, I have too many, probably too many. Uh, you know, I've, I've, uh, I've been tossing around, like I have an outline for like, some fantasy stories that I've been interested. I've been getting kind of back into fantasy. I was like, that's where I really started reading fantasy stuff when I was a teenager and like, you know, really into all like the Forgotten Realms type of, of stuff. And I was, and, you know, getting really into that. And uh, I've been sort of getting back into it recently. Um, I picked up The Witcher kind of thing. I, I played all the games and, and seen the show and I was like, oh, I should read the book. And the book's great too. So, um, you know, I've been sort of toying around with that. Um, I also have this like um, one that I actually started uh, started writing that's like a I don't know if you want to call it like a retro computing story like about like computing in the late 80s early 90s kind of a 
you know, it's a little bit lower stakes kind of thing, but about kind of about that era and, and BBSs. Does anybody remember BBSs okay. before the internet, you know, that, yeah. and like, you know, some kids who want to start up a BBS and all the hacking and stuff that goes around that. So I've, that's been kind of fun kind of thing to you to almost as like a palate cleanser kind of thing ap afterwards. So, uh, yeah. And my, my to write my to be written list is huge. There's all kinds, of, <laughs> all kinds of stuff on it. So I'm kind of like, kind of like dabbling in a few things. Um, and it's, and you know, it's not necessarily the end, like that I would never return to the sort of Kardashev universe that uh, it's sort of like, okay, there's three, that story arc is complete now. Let's take a break kind of thing and try something else and then maybe come back. That late eighties, early nineties era is really interesting, isn't it? Cause there's so, there are so many changes that happened in that time period. And, you know, if we go from a, like a BBS, yeah, which is go back and look at think about it now with, you know, 2,400 baud modems and it was a whole different world. And even then, if, if you were into it, it was like, people thought you were some kind of wizard because it was like, you know, what is a BBS or what's a modem or why does it make those funny sounds? It's, it's, it's yeah. you know, it's, it's amazing how far we've come. It really is. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, um, but there's something like kind of like now I think kind of exotic about all that kind mm -hmm. of tech, it, you know, there's definitely like, there's now generations who have grown up completely without it. Right. Like now who, who never had, you know, the, the dial up experience or <laughs> the, uh, you know, or like even the way, you know, the computers were like, they were, they were really quite, cryptic in a way, you know what I mean? There was, there's lots of, and, you know, I, I love all the ANSI art from that era and the BBSs, like all that, you know, and, and all that demo scene stuff. And, and like that whole era is just so, I don't know, there's just so much character to it. Um, so uh, that's something I, you know, I really wanted to explore, you know, I was obsessed. I, in my, I wrote my master's thesis about BBSs and things like that. And so I've been always like obsessed with this kind of, concept and so you know now it's just sort of writing a it's a bit you know lighthearted uh you know lighthearted story kind of thing but uh you know kind of just exploring the the vibe of that of that era kind of thing so we'll see where it goes we'll see where it goes i you know it's it's been fun i've been like playing around with like you know i i worked in games for a while and i'm working on like a a bbs simulator kind of thing i don't know if you want to call it like a Completely rate like simulating like the twenty four hundred baud speed of rendering it and like <laughs> I don't know if we'll ever see the light of day, but it's pretty fun to work on. It's but yeah, we'll see. Oh, that makes that makes me that fills me with joy to think about that. <laughs> but even back, I mean, even back then, it you know now we just you just install a game and you or you download it from Steam or whatever from a service and you're ready to go. And back then you were, you know, I have to edit my auto exec bad or my config sys to make this work. And it, it took, it took effort to make it. Did. <laughs> yeah. Like you, and that's, that's what I mean. Sort of cryptic. It's like, you had to know the incantations to load your mouse driver in high memory or something. So you had the memory to look at this game and, you know, and, and like the, there's all kinds of crazy things like, you know, you, the games used to come on like two different disc size. You know, you'd have like the three and a half inch disc and the five and a quarter. And like, I can remember friends about it. We would trade them. You know, we'd be like, "Oh, I've got the three and a half inch. I'll trade you for the five. 
know, I don't have that size disk drive or, <laughs> you know, and we won't even talk about the amount of pirates, pirated games that everybody had, oh, like God. entire things of like copied games. And there's, it was just a really fascinating, and then shareware games and stuff like yeah. where like doom, right? Like was, you know, you download it and you can play it for free. And then you like mail the check for like $40 to these guys. Yeah. <laughs> it was just like a, such a weird, weird thing when you think back on it the way it is now right where you just go to steam and you're like i'm going to download 400 gigabyte game or whatever right like, yeah <laughs> yeah it's a it's a totally different world it's a it's amazing it's really it's really cool to, to think back on those i mean while i missed them it, it was kind of a pain in the ass at the same time so. <laughs> well, yeah. you know. it can be it's it's fun to look through, through rose-colored glasses kind of yeah. thing to be like oh let's romanticize this kind of thing yeah but if but if we went back and we were trying to get on a bbs and i'll be like hurry up <laughs> I, don't have I, know. Yeah. I think i did the math recently and it's like i think like current like gigabit connection compared to like 2400 baud is like i don't know like a million times faster or something like it's a it's a lot faster yeah so yeah it's nice to think about but i'm not sure if if i'd want to go back but no <laughs> not for very long yeah no yeah it wouldn't last very long uh so what made you decide to write a book what what was it that that finally got you to, to take that step and say, I'm going to make this happen. I'm going to do this. Right. So, I, I mean, I've been writing stuff my whole life. Like, I, you know, when I, when I was like a little kid, I had like notebooks full of crazy stories and plays and, you know, crazy stuff like that. And so, and I've always been kind of writing, you know, all the time throughout, throughout my life kind of thing, like writing, whether it's stories or, um, you know, I, I failed attempts at novels kind of thing. And, uh, and yeah, that's, I think everybody who's been a writer is, has a, you know, a, a giant pile of shame kind of thing of things that have never finished. Um, but I, I think for me, like what was different this time is, you know, I, I did change my approach, you know, cause I'm basically, I'm constantly coming up with like ideas to, to try out, but I changed my approach this time. And I think prior I would have been, you know, they call a pantser, right? Like I, I would have been like, I, I just kind of sat down and started writing and see where it took me. But this time I was like, no, after years of working in games and working like, you know, learning how to like ship things that, that like, it's really a skill kind of thing is, is learning how to ship things is like, I was like, okay, well, I'm going to try a different approach. I'm going to treat this the same way that I, you know, worked on you know, large, large video game franchises and like, and so I did an outline and, and I changed to outlining. So this time before I wrote a single line of, of prose, I had every chapter mapped out with the beats that were like, you know, Tim does this in this chapter, you know, open Neil does this. And then what I think what that really benefited me is that when I sat down to write, I only had to focus on the performance of writing, right? Like the, the sort of like artistic performance um, versus, you know, having to worry like, oh, am I introducing a plot hole? Like, is this going to have enough like meat on it to actually sustain, you know, I didn't have to worry about anything. I knew that it, you know, all the plot holes were filled, all of the things were sustained. So I could just focus on that performance. And that's like, um, that's really something that I learned a lot when I was, um, I did audio direction in games for a number of years. So I did a lot of voiceover direction for with, like actors and like, broadcasters and stuff. And one of the things I really learned was like, you really, 
to create this environment where people don't have to think through these things, where they can just, you know, kind of relax and do what they do best, right? And be like, you know, and and just and be able to trust the process, like trust that this is going to work. You know what I mean? Like, okay, it's kind of weird that I'm gonna like get excited as if they just scored a winning goal and like you know say a bunch of stuff, but once if they understand the context of this, then they can they can trust that it's going to work and then they can get a really good performance. And that's something that, again, I just sort of try to apply to my own processes. Like, okay, if all of the other things are figured out and I don't have to worry about them, then when I sit down to actually write, then I can get a good performance. Hmm. With an outline that you had mapped on before, how often would you change the outline as you went? Was it pretty often or was it something that you tried to stick to? Pretty rarely, I would say. Like, I mean, not never. There's definitely been a few times um, especially in the third book, like I changed it a lot more in the third book, um, mostly because, mostly for pacing purposes, not like fundamentally like, oh, you know what I mean? Like this is like way off base, but mostly like, oh, you know what? Like this needs to happen later or this needs to happen, you know, because you need to, uh, sort of distribute some of like the high, high intensity moments and you also have to like sometimes pay them off earlier so that a later plot point makes sense kind of thing like, and, and feels earned and all this kind of stuff. So um, I would change it sometimes for pacing. Um, I did change in the second book, I changed um, a plot point where initially one character was one way, like uh, I don't want to give spoilers, but like, you know, there was one character who you know what I mean? It was really like, there was, you know, ultimately there would have been a cold-hearted betrayal kind of thing in this book. And then when I came to actually write that, I was like, it really doesn't work. Like it doesn't, you know, it doesn't feel true to the way that that character has been written kind of thing throughout this. And so I had to kind of like adjust that whole storyline to, to sort of suit the kind of truth of that character when they were on the page so yeah it's different different uh, approaches how that's it's amazing how much they change the end result just how you approach something like this, especially creatively it's makes a big difference and I, I did notice that uh you're in, the book is on kindle unlimited and i wondered is what are the pros and cons that you've seen with kindle unlimited right yeah so um yeah, the, the books currently are all on Kindle Unlimited. Um, they will actually very soon be coming out of Kindle Unlimited hmm. for a short period, like a kind of a test period of time. Um, you know, one of the one of the one of the challenges is that there are some people who you know are like, well, I don't read my stuff on a Kindle, and I don't buy my stuff from Amazon, and it's and you have to be exclusive with Amazon when you when you have the Kindle Unlimited, and so, you know, obviously, you know, percentage of market like Amazon is a very large percentage of market. It's not, they're not a huge, but it does feel like you know, for me, I'd be like, I would like those people to have an opportunity to read the book kind of thing and to to uh, to you know have access to that and to get into it. So, um, yeah, I am looking at or trying to make them available wider. It's also though like, it's a lot of work, <laughs> like a lot more stores. I mean, there's services like Drafted Digital and stuff like that, but like, you know, it's 
more things to manage. So, you know, when I was starting out, my, my sort of strategy was like, okay, I'm going to stick with Amazon. I just need to focus on this. You know, it's, it's, it's not my full-time job. So, so it's like, I, you know, how do I, how do I scope this down so that it, it will be manageable? Um, the great thing though is it makes it so easy for people to pick it up, right? People who are in Kindle Unlimited, they can try it out and, you know, and just kind of discover, you know, this, hopefully this new, new world that they, that they fall in love with. And that's, that's like what, um, that's something that for me is, is exciting. I think. So we'll try this kind of thing probably over, probably over the summer. <clears throat> and, but it may not, it may only be a limited time thing. It's, it's tough to say kind of thing. I think one of the, the awesome things is that you can experiment with this stuff, right? You can switch back and forth and you can, you know, try, there's lots of, lots of avenues as, as, as an author kind of thing to be able to, to experiment with these uh, different approaches. Um, and I also wanted to ask you, because I think everyone's, uh, everyone's journey is different. Everyone's publishing journey is a little different. And I wondered what was your publishing journey like from, from step one to now? I mean, how much you've, I'm sure you've learned a ton about it, but how, what was that? What was that process like? Right. So I would say that my publishing journey actually started back when I was working in games. And so, um, we, we were working on, you know, we, we were working on various licensed titles kind of thing with large publishers um, that you would all know the name of kind of thing. <laughs> um, and um, they, you know, so I had like a lot of firsthand experience with what publishing contracts look like because in video games, it's the exact same model kind of thing, right? It's oh, the exact, okay. it's the exact same advance against royalties model kind of thing. And there's, Cross collateralization across multiple, multiple titles, and all, it's all it's exactly the same, hmm. um, the the model. Um, and so, I, basically, you know, I'd sort of seen kind of firsthand what that looks like. You know, obviously the scale is different, right? The expense of building a game is a lot higher than writing a book, um, and and like distribution costs are higher and all this kind of stuff. But um, you know, in general, the structure is exactly the same. And then we'd, you know, we'd started out as like Steam became more popular. Mm. Um, we started experimenting with doing and at App Store and stuff uh, with doing uh, self-published titles on on uh, on Steam and on the App Store and stuff. And we we surprisingly saw quite a lot of success with that. Um, and so and learned, you know, I learned a lot. Um, in my role as executive producer there, I learned a lot of, um, about the publishing side of the business and what, you know, what does it take to, you know, not just develop the thing, but like to take it to market and, you know, grow an audience and get exposure and, and all that kind of stuff. And so, um, yeah, we, we, we did a number of, of sort of self-published titles that were quite, you know, early access, all that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm that were, that were, you know, quite successful. And so, you know, when I switched over to, um, you know, I was writing books, I was like, I'm going to try to replicate that. You know what I mean? Like I'm going to take that same route, you know what I mean? Where I have, I have, again, it's not for everybody. Like, you know, I already had like years of experience, like bringing things to market, like knowing, you know, how to deal with 
you know, contractors and outsourcers and legal and, you know, all the stuff like about, you know, how to like prepare stuff and distribute it and like, you know, deal with like portals and, you know, stuff that, you know, especially if you're not technical, like can seem really like probably overwhelming. Like, you know what I mean? It's like, oh, I don't understand any of this stuff. Like, how does it work? You know? Yeah. Um, and so, and so that was the, for me, that was the road where I was like, you know, I'm, I'm going to try to, to, to sort of uh, replicate that kind of, you know, what that experience that we had. Um, and, you know, there's lots of benefits. Like, you know, I'd also seen like how slow, like, I mean, books move really way slower than video games, but video games move slow too, right? Like where, you know, the, the rate of pushing things out is quite, you know, prolonged mm -hmm. and um, the rate of things. Um, yeah. And like the, the amount of creative control that you can maintain, you know what I mean? <laughs> that you can maintain is different. And, you know, I, I've definitely firsthand experienced that where, you know, we've come up with a concept, made a demo, pitched it to a publisher, got it published, got it, you know, shipped it, all that. And so, yeah, have very firsthand experience with like what, what that can look like kind of thing in terms of the, you know what I mean? The, the amount of control that you give up and, and, and that kind of thing. And so for me, where this is like, you know, definitely a passion project, the Kardashev cycle and like, you know, doing something that's, you know, very, you know, very non-technical. That's another thing I like about writing is like, you know, there's no bugs, doesn't crash, doesn't, doesn't introduce crashes. I work in software still. And like, you know, there's no like yeah. weird crashes that keep you up at night and like you debugging for weeks on end and all this kind of stuff. So it's like very non-tech, it's just like something that I can own. And so that, that was like the approach that I took and, you know, I've really enjoyed it kind of thing. And I, I, you know, I, I um, obviously it's, you know, it's the other thing is I realized it's a long road, you know what I mean? It's not a, you're not going to put it out there and a million people are going to download it. Right. You know, you're going to, it takes time to build an audience and to build a readership and build that trust. And, but you know, you, <clears throat> it's been really, really satisfying to see people pick it up and discover it and, and enjoy it kind of thing. So that's great. You're not, you're not going to get anyone who says when I turn page 198 to 199, I get this error. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. But only sometimes it happens, not all the time. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That's kind of nice. And so with, so when, 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 in your experience, when a video game is done, like a self-published video game versus a self-published book, how has gaining an audience been different? What, what is, how is that approach different? When's, when you, when it's finished, how is to uh, kind of get it out into the world and let people know about it? How different is that? Oh, that's really good question. Like for one, I think books, books is like much <clears throat> harder in a way. Like in some ways it's easier because like the price point is lower mm -hmm. um, and the, you know, that there's things like Kindle Unlimited, you know what I mean? Where you have lots of, you know, lots of like easy entry points for people. Um, but the tough part is it's very, it's much more saturated compared to video games, right? Like, mm -hmm. you know, every, people talk about the app store being saturated or steam being saturated, but like, it's really like orders of magnitude different, right? Like, I think there's like 8 million things or something, 10 million things on KDP, right? Like, whereas like the thing, number of things on steam is still numbered in the thousands, right? So, mm -hmm. uh, you know, maybe, maybe tens of thousands now, 
right? But it's like not, you know, App Store is different, right? The App Store obviously is like, you know, there are millions of things on the App Store, but App Store is very difficult to get discovery on. So, um, so I think that's, you know, that's one thing that's been different, right? Is that you just, there's, there's more not noise to cut through, but there's, you know what I mean? It's, and there's also like so many um, niches kind of thing, which actually I, I love, I think is amazing because you can find people who like, this is made for them, right? There's so many amazing like micro niches. Um, and so, uh, you know, that's been, that's been really great. Um, but um, I think that in general, a lot, there's a lot of similarities really in terms of, you know, it's really just like, you know, helping get it out there so that people can find it, um, you know, chatting about it kind of thing. And, um, and then also like supporting it, right? Like it's not, it's not something you can just like one and done, you know, you can't just like put it out, forget about it and, you know, cross your fingers and hope it, it's like something you have to continuously support and you, you know, you, you know, you're, you're, especially with the series, it's more like, you know, I think it's more like DLC, right? It's like, okay, well, you know, here's the, here's the first one, you know what I mean? And then here's, you know, here's the other ones kind of thing in this series kind of thing. So it's like a long-term support mm. for that series. And that's the same, you know, the, the series that we had, um, that we did self-published, like, we, you know, we supported it for a really long time with like free updates and free content and stuff. Mm. So that's, that's an approach that, you know, has been the same that I've applied here. Yeah. Hmm. yeah, it is. It's, it seems like writing is, is the first step and after that. It's, it's a whole nother journey that you're, that you're kind of embarking on. Yeah, it really is like, you know, I, that was a thing I think even, you know, being, you know, being a, a trained writer, do you know what I mean? I, I went to school and took write, writing class, you know, I worked in a creative field, you know, all this stuff it still surprised me how much work editing was, you know what I mean? And how much more work it was than writing it. Kind of thing. Like, I think the first, the first book took me three to four months to write the first draft and then two years to edit it kind of thing. So, wow. you know, it, it took me a really long time. Now, obviously the second one went way faster, right? I did the whole second one from beginning to end in about a year. Um, and then this one definitely about the same kind of thing. I might even, maybe I'll come out ahead. I don't, we'll see. It's to be, we'll, we'll see. We're not, we're not across the finish line yet. I don't want to jinx it. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, we've been, uh, with some, some friends lately, we've been talking about, we've been talking about genres and sub genres and as an author, is that, what are your thoughts on, on genres and sub genres? Is, is it, does it make it more difficult to get your book out there and kind of, to pinpoint who might be your target audience when there's so many subgenres, or is it helpful to have subgenres? Uh, it's, I, I think it's a, it is a blessing and a curse. Like, like I said, it's, it is awesome to have the subgenres um, for, for those, but at the same time, you risk, like, if you're too narrow, you risk some people never seeing it. If you don't hit one of those broad genres kind of thing, like this is the other aspect I think that's new to this whole thing that people don't is like algorithm optimization, I suppose is maybe the, the term for it, you know, like search algorithms and, and TikTok algorithms and all this stuff is like where keywords like matter, you know, and, and 
And so, you know, one of the things that I've really struggled with a little bit with the, with the book is that, you know, the book is de definitely like, I would describe it as YA friendly kind of thing. Right. But it's not like, I never wrote it explicitly to be a YA book kind of thing. And so I really struggle with, should I put it in the YA category or should I not? You know what I mean? Like, because it, it's not like, it's kind of, you know, it's, it's YA friendly. Like there's, there's no swearing or no hardcore swearing and there's no like, you know, gratuitous kind of violence or anything like that in it. And it's like, and the, the main character is like a young girl, she's like 16, 17, it's vague. Uh, it's, you know what I mean? But like, you know, like a teen teenager. So, you know, it does line up with some of the things, but sometimes I feel like those bound, like those genre boundaries are too strict kind of thing. Like they, but they can be very helpful, right? Because it helps people like have a shorthand of like, am I going to like this, right? Yeah. Oh, this is a, this is a space opera romance or whatever. Oh, great. I want that. You know what I mean? Or, you know, it's a, it's a horror thriller kind of thing. Oh, I want that one. Kind of thing, right? So. Yeah, it is tough. And, uh, you know, it's, it's funny that you mentioned YA because there's so many people that love YA that you can, you know, that would enjoy it, but then there's, it, will, it may also turn some people off. So it's, which way do you go with that? It's, it's, yeah, that's a tough one for sure. And you mentioned your main character. What, what makes a character compelling? Uh, any character? You, you mean what makes any character compelling? Yeah. yeah. What, 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 what makes you latch onto a character? Um, I think that a character who has like, has, has a bit of a challenge kind of thing to them that, that, you know, that you want to see through. It's like, oh, I want to see how they deal with this kind of thing. And they obviously have to be relatable in some way. You know, I, I, I've seen a lot of debates about like, oh, does your main character have to be likable? Like, I think they have to be some, maybe, maybe likable is too weird, broad of a term, like it, but like they have to be relatable, right? You have to have some connection with them. Like, oh, you know, I've gone through something similar or I, I empathize with that, right? There has to be a bit, some empathy there with that character. But then, you know, for me, it's like, you know, how is this character going to grow kind of thing, right? And what is going to be that journey that you're going to watch? Because that's really like when you step back, right? You know, and, and this is sort of, I, I've tried, I've described, you know, this series this way as well is like, you know, step back from the gravity weapons and Dyson swarms and, you know, space battles and, and robots and all that kind of stuff. And it's really a story about family, right? It's about, you know what I mean? A young girl who is like, you know, on her own in this gigantic, complex, dangerous universe. And she's being kind of thrust into responsibilities that she, maybe she's not ready for kind of thing, or maybe she is kind of thing. And like, how can she, how can she grow into that role kind of thing where she's now become, you know, at the center of this kind of interplanetary conflict and, you know, and what is, and then, you know, obviously there's also some, I think mystery is important too, right? Where, you know, she uncovers like a mystery about her family that she, you know, is kind of revealed and she's like, oh, I didn't know this. And she, you know, tries to understand what that is, but it's really, it's not so much like the, you know, figuring the clues, it's like more about discovering who she is, right? It's like, oh, this is a huge part of me that I don't know. 
and no understand you know solving this mystery will help me understand this and grow and complete my journey mm-hmm. and through your this journey of, of getting your books uh written and published and edited <laughs> written edited and published who has been your biggest supporter oh that's that's a that's a that's a tricky one um you know i've had a lot of really great support from a lot of people obviously like my family like my wife and my kids like really you know they, you know, they're very supportive of this kind of thing. And, you know, they're my first alpha readers kind of thing. They will, they'll read it before, you know, even before it's like probably fit to be read kind of thing. Right. So they, you know, they're, they're willing to look past the awkward phrasing and, and, and typos and stuff. But I have a few beta readers as well, who, you know, are amazing to like, who will read it, you know, before I send it to my editor and, who will, you know, give me unvarnished and detailed feedback kind of thing to say. So, you know, it really is like, it, it's a, it's a team effort kind of thing, but yeah. Nice. Writing uh, with your main character being a, like a teenage, teenage girl, did you ever ask your kids or someone of that age and say, would a teenager say something like this? Would did you ever ask them that? For sure. For sure. Yeah. Like, you know, uh, you know, my, my daughters are very, very, uh, very easy. They're very quick to give me, give me feedback kind of thing. Right. And, and like avid readers and stuff. So they, they, they know, you know what I mean? Like, you know, they know this genre, these genres in and out and they, they'll, they're quick to say like, nah, that's, that's no good. That that's yeah. Like, no, <laughs> this needs to be more of this, less of this kind of thing. So. It's, it's great to get that honest feedback though. I mean, Oh yeah. You can't, you, without, <clears throat> you really need feedback and you need to figure out how to incorporate it kind of thing and how to, how to, um, how to integrate that into your process. Um, you know, I, I it's so critical because some of the things is you, you can't predict. It's not that you have to, you don't necessarily have to do everything that people say, but like, you know, one of the things that we always say, um, I work in product management and software every day. It's like, you know, users can usually, they're never usually right about what the solution is to the problem, but they're always right that there is a problem. If they're telling you there's something wrong, they're right. They're just usually not that good at solu- doing, giving you the solution kind of thing, right? So that's, yeah. I think the same applies in writing. You know what I mean? Is that it's like, okay, you know, you're saying that there's a problem with this scene or this character or this whole story arc. I need to go back and I need to address that. And so that's, hmm. um, I, I take that stuff seriously and, and make sure that I, you know, integrate that. And sometimes it's like, it's, it's funny how like, sometimes it doesn't even require a massive rewrite. I think that a lot of people will get afraid of feedback, like, oh no, now I'm gonna start over, right? <laughs> and it's like, sometimes it's not, sometimes like you can, you can change the way a whole thing feels with just one paragraph or something or like a few changing a few words and then suddenly people read it and like oh yeah it's totally different now and so hmm. it's you have you have more levers than you think i think with, with this stuff where you don't you don't always have to like throw it out and start over hmm. and speaking of your process what is your creative process um yeah so uh, i mean i I generate, you know, a ton of ideas, like a sort of 
you know, endless stream, way more ideas than I can possibly do. But usually there's like some that will stick, right? And then I'm like, oh, there's something here, right? And so usually uh, it used to be that I would just jump in and try to explore it. But now I'm much more measured about it, right? I'm, you know, I'm much more uh, deliberate. Like I said about the outlining, you know, I will usually then try to outline. So with this like fantasy idea I had, the first thing I was like, okay, let's try to outline this. Where does this go? Is there enough? Because one of the things that's challenging, especially if you're writing novels is like, is there enough meat on the bones of this subject to, to sustain, you know, a novel or a series kind of thing. Right. And, and I, I think I kind of lucked out with the Kardashev cycle where, you know, I was like, oh yeah, it'll be cool. It'd be like a series. And, 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 I was like, there's plenty here kind of thing. And, and I definitely lucked out, but it could have easily been like, you know, dried up in the beginning of book two. And you're like, oh, oh now what am I going to do? Right. Like, so, um, so then, I, you know, I usually follow that outline and then, you know, then I, then I'll try to draft a bunch of, of, of chapters and, and usually I'll do, I can know fairly quickly if it's going to work kind of thing now, like where, you know, I'll, I'll write a bunch of chapters and then if it, if it seems good, I'm like, oh, this is working, then I'll be like, I'm going to keep doing this. But sometimes you do it and you're like, mm, this is not, <laughs> I'm not sure about this one. So, you know, it goes, it goes back into the, into the pile. And with a genre like science fiction, I'm guessing that, you know, because as a reader, you have to introduce the reader into this whole new world and uh, kind of set the rules and the, you know, the limits or whatever. So how do you build a world for your readers? Yeah. And this is a, this is a tricky one because I'm like a impatient reader. So, you know, I, I'm actually, I, I'm, I'm don't love like the giant tomes kind of thing of, mm. of, uh, of, uh, you know, lore and world building in the in some you know some series have this and people love it kind of thing and you know but i one of my favorite genres i'm going on a tangent here but i'll, I'll i trust me it connects kind of things so one of my favorite genres of fiction to read is like literary short stories kind of thing. Mm -hmm. so literary short stories to me are like the the like absolute like kind of perfect like uh form of writing in a way like they're so chiseled and so dense that you can get a sense of the world's because you know in this you know you don't have a huge number of pages you can get a sense of the world very in, in very short order with you know very well crafted sentences and very like well-placed sentences and like the structure and like character actions and character dialogue can like con convey a lot way more than like you know an info dump can and and it's like understanding what you know there's a lot of information that's like really fun and cool as a writer when you're researching you're like oh and it, it does this and it works like this but sometimes like when you're reading it like that's actually not that you're like okay you know i'm interested in the in the, you know what i mean the story beat here but it's like, how can you introduce those things via the story beats, right? How can you get those things? Can the characters give you build your world kind of thing? Can the, and how can you do it in the most like economical way possible kind of thing? So like my, you know, I, my books, like they have very short chapters 
Um, maybe it's, I have no attention span. I don't know. But, but uh, the, uh, you know, they have very short chapters and they're very like, you know, I think of them almost like all like very structured short stories. Like I, t I draw a lot from that genre and that experience of reading those things to, um, you know, when I write in the longer form and it's like, how, how economical can I be with these descriptions and how impactful kind of thing, right? Like what's the minimum amount of stuff to convey this world? And maybe, you know, might not always be successful, right? But I think that it can be very impactful. And I think that people can get it like a, a feel for the world rather than, you know, a, necessarily an academic understanding of it kind of thing. Hmm, interesting. That's a good point. I can be an impatient reader. I, I love short chapters. I'm a big fan of short chapters. I love the short chapters. <laughs> well, yeah. So, the, um, you know, I've had a lot of feedback that people really do like that. So, you know, the, all of the books are, you know, the, the chapters are usually sub 1500 words for sure. Like mm -hmm. of every chapter, probably minimum 800. So some 800 to 1500 probably is the range. Nice. Yeah. I'm, I'm a fan of the short chapters. <laughs> If, uh, if you were, if you were in your world, would you survive? Ooh, that is a, um, maybe, but, uh, it depends on where, right? It, it depends on where, you know, the, the, one of the things like the half of this, I'd say sort of half of the story takes place like in space. So like in the asteroid belts or, or on the moon or places like that. And, um, and one of the things that, you know, I, I, one of the details of the world that I sort of, you know, keep picking on in the descriptions and in the character actions and stuff is like, actually like kind of how hard it is to live out there, like in space and like how it's not really like you think, you know what I mean? It's like, you know, it's, it's hot, it's cold, it's dusty, it's, you know, like, there's, there's not much gravity kind of thing. And, you know, the, so, you know, it, gravity sickness is like a major plot point in the second book, kind of thing right. of, you know, these characters who live their whole lives in space come to Earth. And it's like, okay, but you can't just do that, right? Like, if you, if you've lived your whole life in space, you come to Earth, like, you're going to be in, like, for a world of hurt with this, with, you know, gravity that you, you're not used to. Or if you've grown up microgravity, not not necessarily zero g, but like microgravity, and so, um, you know that aspect of it is very difficult kind of thing, but uh, you know, um, the uh, the future in in the book is like alarmingly not that different from the present, like in the in the sense that like. Um, especially on, on earth, you know, people still have jobs and stuff like that. And, but it, it's sort of like, it talks about like a utopia where, you know, one of the big concepts is that they have jobs, but they have robot proxies to do their job. Mm -hmm. So it's this idea where, okay, you know, we still have the same economic system and ever. It's just that, you know, some people or most people, you know what I mean? Can, you know, purchase a robot and they, there's like a, there's a short story in like, so on my mailing list, you can sign up and get short stories. One of the short stories is about, um, Jim's grandmother who inherits money and then uses it to get a mortgage 
on a robot. This like this idea that a, a robot is like a generational purchase kind of thing that will like free you from, you know, having to work kind of thing. And then later on in like book two, uh, Chim meets up with this character, you know, and his family doesn't have that kind of, you know, privilege. And, you know, it, do, it has never occurred to her that, you know what I mean? That, oh, you know, oh, not everybody has a robot. Oh, like, and, and so, you know, there's, there's a lot of things that are the same and a lot of things that are different. And so depends on where I might survive, depending on where it depends if I have a robot, if I have a robot to work for me, but then this is like the central thing is like, you've got to keep that robot in working order. Otherwise you're on the hook to do the work. And that's, that's really the catalyst for the entire chain of events is that her robot breaks down in the first chapter of the first book and her father has to sub in for this robot on a sp dangerous spacewalk and stuff happens. Yeah. Blessing and a curse for sure. Mm -hmm. And when you, when you do write, do you listen to music? I do. Yeah. I, I, um, I listen to a lot of instrumental music kind of thing because I, I find if it has lyrics, it will distract me, <laughs> yeah. but, um, yeah, I have like playlists for, and it's funny, like each of the books have different playlists. So like the first book I was listening to a lot of like orchestral music or soundtracks kind of thing. Like, um, I had like Blade Runner soundtrack or something like that in there, or, you know, you know, the expanse or TV show thing, or like, um, or star Wars or something like that. You know what I mean? Like you know, a whole mishmash of like, you know, kind of like a random playlist of like movie music kind of thing. Right. Um, but in the second book, which is like set on earth is a lot more cyberpunk, um, shout out to the band, the midnight who like, I basically listened to all of their albums. They, they, they post instrumental versions of their albums. And I just, it's like 80s synth wave style oh. and it's awesome. It's so good. Um, and uh, I basically listened to all of their albums like repeatedly in the second one. And so, and then the third one's like a mishmash of everything, you know? So, um, but uh, uh, yeah, I definitely listen to, to, to a lot of music. I think M music's yeah, big for me. Uh, if you could pick a favorite album or favorite albums that you can listen to over and over again, never get tired of, what would those albums be? Ooh, you mean, not in the context of writing, but just like in general, like in general. Wow. That is so many. So, um, yeah. And like, you know, my music taste is super eclectic. Okay. I'll try to, I'll try to pick a, a, couple albums that I would never ever get sick of okay um would be like uh Octung Baby by U2 probably can't go wrong um Nevermind by Nirvana um and I'll I'll give a shout out to the Midnight literally any of their albums I've listened to them so many times but you know so like um yeah whether it's Days of Thunder or hmm. um monsters or any any of these any of these albums that they're, they're all they're all amazing so nice. I, I i listened to them so many times they definitely passed the repeat test kind of thing so <laughs> yeah. yeah 
So I have a couple more questions for you. Uh, I like to finish things off on you know kind of kind of a goofy note. But sure. Yeah. Was there was there a, ever a hobby or a thing that you were really excited to try, but when you tried it, you did not enjoy it? Ooh, hobby or thing that I was really excited to try and I tried it, and I did not enjoy it. Um, I'm completely drawing a blank. I mean, I definitely probably have tried a lot of sports. So here's the, okay. So here, one of the last games we made was a snowboard game. So I'm a big skier. I've skied like my whole life. One of the last things, uh, uh, games we did was a snowboard game and i was like oh we should all learn to snowboard kind of thing right and we worked with pro snowboarders and everything like that right and i was like really excited to try snowboarding and i actually really really enjoy it if the conditions are good but now as i age if the conditions are bad which they often are here on the east coast i'm too old for the hit the falls and the slams and it it's too hard on my old body so i've i've like in recent years retreated back to skiing kind of thing because I don't fall as much kind of thing because I'm like so it's like as much as I loved it and really excited about it I was like I just I keep falling and I'm I'm gonna hurt myself seriously one of these times yeah you have to weigh that is it is it worth the risk <laughs> yeah is it, is it worth the risk every, every injury at this at this point uh, it could be a career ender kind of thing so yeah I can yeah it could get you <laughs> If uh, okay, so the next one I have is if the zombie apocalypse started today, what would be your weapon of choice? What would be my weapon of choice? Well, kids have been getting into softball recently. Maybe it's a baseball bat. I don't know. That's yeah. That's that's a tricky one. But that might be. It's definitely the most fun one to play in like Left 4 Dead or something like that, right? So. Yeah. Uh, do you prefer fast or slow zombies? Oh, fast, like it, it, like in Twenty Eight Days Later kind of yeah. thing, like the, the running zombies or whatever. So they're so much scarier, yeah. I think, when they run. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. Kind of thing. I, 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 I think they're definitely terrifying if they're running. Yeah. Yeah. You can't just have a mild jog and get away. You have to... <laughs> No, no, and the, and there's more chance for you to trip. All, all those, all those things. Yeah, be a, be a buffet. Uh, so, do you have a favorite family recipe? Favorite family recipe. These are amazing questions. Um, favorite family recipe. Um, that is a really good question. There's so many. I think it's like it would be really. Probably there's some desserts that I think are probably, you know, there's like, whether it's, you know, certain types of squares or cookies or something like that. One of one of those, I, I, I think it would be hard to choose kind of thing, but it's probably like some kind of dessert, dessert recipe, like, you know, that kind of thing. Can't go wrong with dessert. Uh, so what was your first job? Oh, what was my first job? Paper route? Kind of thing is that really yeah that yeah. count as a job yeah. yeah so yeah probably delivering delivering newspaper getting up at six o'clock in the morning and you know kind of 
filling filling the bag and going out in the cold and delivering the papers. I don't, I don't think that even that that doesn't exist anymore. Kind of thing. Is I'm not sure. I'm not sure if it does or not. I'm not sure. I don't, I don't know how that happens. Yeah. Yeah, it's kind of sad. <laughs> but <laughs> what did what did you learn from that experience from the paper route? What did I learn from that? Uh, I I think I I uh, I learned guess like how to I think you know how to interact with customers a little bit like because you have to collect you know what I mean so that that was the hardest part the delivering the papers and waking up wasn't the hard part that part hard part was like going to people and be like you have to pay your bill and you're like a little kid you know what I mean <laughs> and people would like would not pay their bill and stuff it's like what are you crazy and I'm like eight or something you know I don't know how old I was I don't remember <laughs> Jeez. Well, wow. did you have to threaten to break legs or was that just a movie thing? I think my mother did. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. She, I mean, she was, she was the heavy. Yeah. <laughs> She's the, the big guns. So something I always like to ask all of, all of the, all of my guests is if the roles were reversed and you were in my position, was there a question that you would have asked that I did not ask? Hmm. Um, what would I have asked? Um, I don't know. Um, maybe, maybe just, you know, something about who my favorite authors were or something like that. Maybe, I don't know. So who are your favorite authors? <laughs> so who are my favorite authors? Okay. So, uh, like I said, uh, you know, pretty, pretty eclectic reader, you know, obviously like, you know, I've read, you know, I've got all the, the, the big sci-fi ones on there like Asimov and stuff like that I love all that kind of stuff um but I also like you know like I was saying I read lots of like literary fiction kind of things so like you know short stories by like Jorge Luis Borges and stuff like that amazing you, you know just like and it's like all kind of sci-fi-ish too right it's like just amazingly constructed and then like Canada also like super punches above its weight for um literary authors right so many amazing especially short story authors too like alice monroe or alistair mcleod um and and like kind of um or thomas king amazing amazing uh, author for short stories kind of thing so there's just there's so many um so so many that that i've you know really enjoyed over the years kind of thing so those are those are maybe ones that are maybe a bit more unique than you know just rattling off Asimov, etc <laughs> yeah i've uh, i've been I've connected with a lot of canadian authors in the last six months or so there's a there's a ton of you out there so <laughs> <laughs> canada for some reason canada really punches above its weight i think you know it's it's really you know there's not there's not that many of us you know what i mean but there's there's lots lots of amazing amazing talent in canada mm -hmm. yeah definitely yeah I've, Touch a few of them, and it, it's interesting the the differences with you know the, the difference in the publishing experience being in Canada versus being in the states or another another part of the world. So it's really interesting how it's how different it can be when it's just right there. <laughs> so mm -hmm. yeah, it's very very different, especially like um, you know for traditional publishing, like you know there's much fewer you know what I mean. Like the the space in Canada is like much smaller kind of thing compared to the U.S., where it's you know much more expansive. There's there's few, fewer agents in Canada. There's fewer, you know, 
just fewer of everything, right? So it's it's a different. Um, there are a lot of amazing like small presses in Canada that are, um, especially in this part of the, the country. There's like on the east coast here. There's there's a lot of really amazing regional publishers who are picking up you know published like poetry or they publish like regional kind of fiction or regional like historical things. And there's like some really really high quality stuff that comes out. Interesting. So uh, um, thanks for coming by and to come and chat with me for a bit. I think we can go on for a couple of hours if you want. <laughs> but if, uh, if someone wants to connect with you, where's the best place to find you? Right. So probably the best place to start is my website, which is pjgarson.com. And there you can like sign up for my mailing list. Um, you can, uh, you'll find links to all the books, lots of information about the books. When book three comes out, you'll be, see that. So if you sign up for the mailing list, you'll get an update obviously when the third book comes out um you can follow me on twitter my username is rocktron r-a-w-k-t-r-o-n um and uh and uh, i'm reasonably active on there you know reasonably active um i'm not super active on some of the other ones but uh i am on there you can find me and most of that stuff's all linked from the website nice and i'll leave all those links down below on the podcast or on uh, YouTube under the in the description so that people can can check out your work and connect with you. Great. Well, I really appreciate you having me on. It's great to chat. Yeah, because yeah, we definitely could keep going. But uh, <laughs> yeah, great. To, great to chat and delve in. Yeah, let me know when uh, you'd like to do it again. We'll, we'll set something up. Great. Well, uh, yeah, have a thanks again for having me on and uh, have a great day. You too. Thanks, everybody.